Hello and welcome to Tech Talks with Madonna Season 3 Episode 7. Our guest today is Aminetta Jallo. In this insightful podcast episode, we sit down with Aminetta, a senior product manager at Amazon, with a remarkable background in international development. With experience spanning across 12 countries, Aminata has channeled her passion for helping others into her role as a leader in the tech industry. And so, like I said, I always knew I wanted to do something that helped people. Um, because I'm from Sierra Leone, it's a country that was impacted by a 10-year civil war. And that experience really, at a young age, gave me this awareness of like, why not? just how things in a different place can connect with other people. When I was younger, I recall my parents getting phone calls and just being sobbing on the phone um, because they found out someone they knew or loved. Aminata's current role involves spearheading product development for the world's largest independent publishing tool, a platform that empowers authors worldwide to share and publish their stories. She brings a unique perspective to her work leveraging her global development expertise to create technology solutions that have a positive social impact. Please, Aminata, introduce yourself. Well, my name is Aminata Jallo. Currently, I'm a senior product manager at Amazon, which is really exciting. I work on one of their products called Kindle Direct Publishing, which is essentially a tool that enables indie authors or people who want to be an author to self-publish. So basically, that pipeline that existed before for publishing is removed the barriers. But prior to that, I worked in the international humanitarian sector, lived overseas in over 12 countries. And yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. Wow, that is amazing. You lived to over in over 12 countries. Can yes. you tell us more about that? Yes. So I've been really lucky in the fact that most of my career has been quite international. But even prior to that, um, my background is originally West African from Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Um, we have family all over the world. So growing up and traveling was something that I was quite used to. Mm-hmm. Um, visiting family um, in the UK, also in Denmark. I also have participated in a lot of different um, things. I just stimulated my interest in living overseas. And I knew early on I wanted a career that allowed me that opportunity. And so I kind of went into the track of working in the humanitarian sector. Didn't know what that meant at the time, but I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to work overseas and I had a passion for Africa in particular. And so I used that and leveraged that to parlay a career internationally, which has allowed me to live overseas um, in Asia, uh, South Asia and India, in the UAE, in the, um, Dubai, um, Sierra Leone, Benin, um, and a variety of other places. Wow. That is amazing. And I have a question for later, which I want to bring up about the food, because I know I've had a controversy with a friend, which country has the best food, but that's for later. Now, can you tell us about your journey from working in international development to becoming a senior product manager at Amazon? How did you, how did your previous experience shape your current role? You know, I feel like I grew up during a time, or was at least in uni during a time where we were seeing the emergence of the tech sector. But I didn't at the time think of it as how I think now that there were careers outside of developers or people who are supporting as like support engineers. 
And so, like I said, I always knew I wanted to do something that helped people. Um, because I'm from Sierra Leone, it's a country that was impacted by a 10 year civil war. Mm-hmm. And that experience really at a young age gave me this awareness of like, one, just how things in a different place can connect with other people. When I was younger, I recall my parents getting phone calls and just being sobbing on the phone um, mm-hmm. because they found out someone they knew or a loved one um, yeah. was basically um, impacted by the war. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't go into details of that, but um, you can imagine. And I always kind of had this question about if we didn't live in the States and my parents chose to stay in Sierra Leone, what would our life experience be like? And why did they have to make that tough decision of having to leave the place that they love the most, um, the the culture, the food, their family, friends, to start anew? Um, And that really kind of parlayed my career. And in that, I took lots of courses, um, even in high school, just around history, economics, And so in my mind, I was going down the track of like, okay, UN, I want to work for like an international organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved to the UK to pursue my graduate degree. And in that, I was able to go to Sierra Leone again during the Ebola outbreak and work there. Um, And one of the things I learned is how technology can be such a transformative tool to support um, essential service delivery. So it's interesting now um, in the Western, well, not just the Western world, but how the West has been impacted by the um, COVID pandemic. And we saw the closure of schools for an extended period of time and how we, how schools and communities and people have to really be creative around what does this mean? Yeah. Um, Sierra Leone had been impacted prior to that with Ebola had to shut down suddenly, close schools for over nine months in Sierra Leone is a country mm-hmm. that is considered low income, um, access to internet or devices that support accessing connectivity is limited for the masses, not for mm-hmm. everyone, but for the masses. Mm-hmm. And so I really began to realize that tech can be a tool that enables people to connect, um, not just socially, but in the area of education. Mm-hmm. And so we worked on building out um, a national curriculum to support um, basically instruction while schools were closed. And that just sparked my interest in tech, to be honest, because mm-hmm. before, like I said, I just thought of technology as engineers mm-hmm. and people who did like help, you know, and yeah. I Growing up when I was younger, I used to be, me and my brother actually used to be the go-to people for like our family, for yeah. like helping on the computer. And so I was like, I know I don't want to do that. But I used to run away from it as a child. And mm-hmm. so really working in the humanitarian sector made me realize that tech is really an enabler. Mm-hmm. And the more we think about it as that, the more we can think of creative ways to enable people to solve problems and get closer to the place that they want to be. Now, you mentioned something very important about how technology has really impacted the world. And you're right. When I think about the pandemic, mm-hmm. I had to homeschool my kids. I had never done that. It felt like I was homeschooling literally because <laughs> this is nobody prepared me for this. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned something very important about being passionate about helping others. And I'm wondering... How do you see the intersection of technology and global development playing a role in addressing some of the world's most pressing challenges? You know, um, 
I think working in the international development or humanitarian sector, a lot of people come in um, when they first start their career really enthusiastic and ambitious about the impact that they will have. Yes. And then years in the sector, sometimes it's easy to become a little bit disillusioned. Um, you begin to see how politics and other dynamics, um, mm -hmm. and not even like social politics, but just larger politics, um, global politics, um, really create an environment where some of the issues that you're trying to address don't get resolved. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about technology and the role it can play in being transformative, one of the things that used to get me really excited, it still does, to be honest, is just the new generation, so youth, and how they're using it to kind of define what they want to do. Yeah. So you know, I was able to work on, you know, this learning management system in Sierra Leone to basically enable school to continue remotely. Mm -hmm. um, I worked on another interesting project in Vietnam um, that enables students with disabilities to be able to access higher education and develop in certain life skills as well. Yeah. But one of the things that I think, like I said, is mm -hmm. super interesting is just the everyday person yeah. who has a problem and it's like okay I want to be able to do x y and z so that might be something as like music for example yeah. I feel like I have a gift and I want to be able to connect my music to a larger audience so I'm on YouTube creating videos and I'm cutting those videos into audios and I'm sending it via WhatsApp and mm -hmm. I'm sending it as like on my website where people can download and yeah that turns into something larger because now I people see me doing this and now my friends want me to do it for them. Yeah. And I think that's where I see that role of technology playing, yes. not just from outside entities coming in and identifying mm -hmm. opportunities, but also homegrown solutions where people are there and they're finding things that they want to do and using technology to be able to do it better. Well, you've summed up that you've summed that very well, that I just need to say, you're amazing at this. And I really like what you're doing. And you mentioned something also very important that I never thought of, but you're right, that it's true, we want to do good. But the politics mm -hmm. that plays into doing the good, especially right now, it's pretty tough. And that's why many people don't know this, but I'm very passionate about politics. It's one of my biggest, I feel like my career, it's leading me towards politics, either way, even if I like it or not, because look. We need it, we need women in politics. Exactly, because politics affects us if we know it or not. We might want to close our ears and say, no, we're not going to vote for our leaders, but guess who makes the decisions for you? The leaders. And if you're not voting the right ones in, what's going to happen? Exactly. We end up getting get getting bad policies, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so important. So cool. Now let's go back to your Amazon role. Now your role at Amazon involves leading product development for publishing tools. Now, could you yes. share more about this tool and its significance in enabling authors worldwide to share their stories? Because I'm an author and I'm pretty excited about yeah, this. <laughs> so you know, interestingly enough. Um, like I said, I was someone that didn't know so much about the tech industry prior to entering it. Mm -hmm. And so back in 2017, actually, this is while I was still in Sierra Leone, I wrote a children's book. Um, I first began my career in education. So I actually was a teacher. I'm just fresh out of college. I worked in elementary school. I was certified K through six and I loved it. 
But like you said, um, it's very, very challenging in a good way, but mm -hmm. it really is something that requires a lot of attention and dedication. Mm -hmm. And so in my work as an educator, I worked in DC, uh, the school I taught at, and it's kind of similar to a lot of schools in the DC, Maryland area, mm -hmm. super diverse. And we had students from all over the world. And the school mm -hmm. I taught at had primarily students from East and West Africa. Yeah. Um, and also a bit of Central America as well. And one of the things I really struggled with was finding books that really centered African children and African voices in a non-stereotypical way to be completely transparent. Yeah. Um, and so I would search online on Google. I would like ask friends. I would ask relatives. And I just felt there was a gap in kind of authentic stories that centered African children in a way that wasn't um, kind mm -hmm. of the cliche, you know, yeah. so it's not centered around poverty or lack there of having yeah. um, an access and things like that. So back in Sierra Leone, uh, during closure um, of everything, I had a lot of free time outside of work because nothing yeah. was going. <laughs> so I went back to that fashion and I was like, you know what, maybe I'll start writing a story. Yeah. And I wrote a picture book and I used Amazon to publish. Mm -hmm. So what this kind of comes full circle because now I'm working on that tool that enabled me to self-publish a children's book yeah. and what's so exciting about this product Kindle Direct Publishing is like what I said in the beginning mm -hmm. the barriers to publishing traditionally um, are many there yeah. can be cost in terms of the time you're spending away from your work to reach mm -hmm. out to editors to reach mm -hmm. out to um, publishing house they might not understand your story and see that there's a need, but with KDP authors, and it's a product that is used worldwide. So like I said, I was living in Sierra Leone at the time. Yeah. And you can publish in a variety of different language. You are now able to kind of bypass some of those processes that make it a bit harder to reach the, um, okay. to reach your audience, to reach your readers and publish. And what I love about it is my experience as an author and particularly as an author that was publishing while I was in West Africa enables me to be able to think through what are some of the different use cases people might have yeah. when they're using this tool? What are some of the problems that I might be able to think about that mm -hmm. will make it easier to publish for authors around the world? Wow. That is amazing because my kids from time to time, they really want to write a book, like yeah. a kid's book. And I was like, hmm, where can I get the resources? And you just gave that <laughs> to me today. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. It's something I want to ask you that you brought up that's pretty important to me. And something that I've noticed is a trend where many teachers now are leaving teaching. I know it's not part of the topic of the discussion today, but I just wanted to bring it up because you've mentioned you, you're an educator. And yeah. I want to, I'm just wondering, do you think we're losing teachers to tech? And what is the future? Because what can the government, I know the government, might, I mean, might not listen to my podcast, but I'm wondering, what is, what is going to happen in the future if all teachers go to tech? I mean, I'm not against that, but what can we retain the teachers to? This is pretty interesting. Because who's going to teach my son? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, that, issue of teachers and it's a global issue to be quite yeah. honest and mm -hmm. even just here in the states but yeah. if you look in european countries if you look with even in african countries the mm -hmm. issue of teachers leaving the workforce for other careers is it's yeah. big it's um big. it's not new unfortunately which tells you that there's something that hasn't been resolved quite yet mm -hmm. um i think it's probably a myriad of issues um mm -hmm. i know 
if we're speaking more generally, a lot of the things that people say, ed educators will say, it's the workload. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes people think that if you're an educator, you have the summers off and it's really glamorous and, you know, you work for, you oh. know, these eight months or nine months and then you have like three months off, you know, mm -hmm. and it really isn't always like that um, <laughs> because sometimes the issues with pay make it difficult for teachers to really say, I will take this some time off you know, yeah. and so they might end up taking additional like classes or to teach or summer school or tutoring. Okay. And so I think the workload and the salary, so remuneration, when it comes to teaching, make it difficult. Um, primarily in the U.S. context, um, yeah. when we think about government and policy, there has been a lot of change okay. as it relates to expectations for teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and how we are supposed to teach. So this yeah. might look like um, different curriculum and not every teacher is always in alignment that that's the best um, way for young children to learn. And okay. so having to manage those expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in terms of preventing teachers from leaving the workforce or mm -hmm. like, are we losing teachers to other fields, including tech? Yeah, very likely. I think um, yes. I might be one of them. Um, but I think the exciting mm -hmm. part is, you know, an educator is always an educator, no mm -hmm. matter where they work, whatever domain. And I think, you know, for me, when I think back to what I wanted to do, which was like work overseas and yeah. solve issues, how I saw that was through education. I didn't think of anything else except education, at least for me. And I know there are other areas you can have impact like health, um, yeah. water, sanitation. But for me, mm -hmm. at the heart of everything, when I think back of like one of the reasons that made my parents leave Sierra Leone is they wanted to enable their okay. children to have an education that would be able to be competitive in a global market. Yeah. And so I went back to that passion when I worked overseas. So I think educators will always be educators no matter mm -hmm. what domain they're in and I yeah. think there will always be people who understand the impact of education wanting to work in the space yeah and in, in fact just to back this conversation up because first I want to say thank you very much for taking on that question because I know no it was not prepared but it's a good no topic you brought up and I just want to mention according to statistics that is National Education Association NEA survey 55 percent of educators are considering leaving their profession. Yeah. I mean, that is insane. And 35% yeah. of teachers say they're likely to quit within the next two years. It's, I mean, so even when there I was a need for that. Friends, mm -hmm. Even when I think about my colleagues and friends who were with me when I taught, many of them are no longer working directly in the classroom. Not all of them have left education, but not all of them are in the classroom. Wow. Pretty sad, but hopefully something <laughs> changes you soon. Know, yeah. You know, to bring things full circle, at least yeah. with the education piece, mm -hmm. you know, at tech, I think also we're seeing some exciting things with some educators who are leaving um, the education space and going into tech and leveraging their expertise. And I think that's kind of something that helped me in my career yeah. in that I became a subject matter expert in education and teaching and learning and curriculum. And mm -hmm. I was able to parlay that into a career in tech by building education tech products. And nice. I think that's one of the opportunities. So 
although people are leaving the industry, not mm -hmm. every or the classroom, not everyone is leaving the industry. And teachers are able to leverage some of their subject matter expertise, their mm -hmm. um, experience, and to help build really innovative products. That's amazing. And at least it brightened up my day. It's a full cycle. I love that. <laughs> yes. So some of those, like, I don't know um, if your children use any, like, apps or, like, online programs, but there's so many interesting tools. And even one that I could think of back in my teaching days, mm -hmm. um, there's a, a resource called Teacher Pay Teachers. And it's essentially a tool where educators create online and physical learning materials that yeah. parents um, schools, just variety of people can go online and download mm -hmm. and leverage for extracurricular learning for their children. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's an exciting time. Although mm -hmm. again, it's not a new problem. Um, mm -hmm. we're seeing through the expansion of the technology industry, how people are leveraging their unique skills to be able to provide value in a different way. Wow. Amazing. Now, uh, what are some of the unique challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? That's a good question. You know, I can't talk about being a woman without talking about how that intersects with other aspects of my identity. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I'm West African. I'm a Black West African woman. Mm -hmm. I'm dark skinned. I'm also Muslim. And mm -hmm. all of these different things also influence the vantage point that I have when I work in the tech space. Yeah. So one of the first ways is there are not that many people in my experience that I frequently see that work in my space that look like me. Yeah. Um, and the challenge of that is not that, you know, you need to have be surrounded by everyone who looks like you. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah. But there is a level of understanding and um, comfort and being able to form connections with people who are like you, have a shared experience. That's and true. so that's been one of the areas that I've seen um, to be just kind of a gap. And one of the things that I do currently, I am a um, part of the board in an organization called Black Product Managers. I serve on the Eastern region in the DMV as um, a membership lead. And what we do is we work to basically form community with people who, in black, who are Black and in product management. And the organization is um, not just in the U.S., but they have branches in Africa, in West Africa in particular, in the U.K., um, in New York, California. And we all recognize the importance of visibility mm -hmm. and also the importance of supporting like the next generation of people who are entering the workforce um, in product management who are Black. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's such an honor to be speaking to you today. You've made my morning. And before we let you go, I have one question for you because I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for your future. I'll be here cheerleading for you. And I want to know what is next in your career? Like, how do you plan to continue your mission? Because I'm so impressed by your work. That's a good question. Um, what is next in my career? I do definitely want to deepen my experience as a product manager and grow in that space. I definitely want to continue the work that I've been doing um, in the area of like looking at emerging markets and basically areas or opportunities to support people who have been historically marginalized in the societies. Um, my experience 
in the past has been again in kind of the global perspective. So I would like to go back to that. But really right now I'm excited about just deepening my knowledge and just deepening my skills as a product manager. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Again, like you. I mentioned, just chilling in for you. Thank you so much for I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank and you. I know so you said you had a question about our the culture or you oh, had yes, like a burning yes. question. I want to make oh, sure we my get goodness. To because I need to be an ambassador. <laughs> Thank you for pulling the plug on this because I wanted to no know. Worries. You've been to over 12 countries and you've tasted many foods. I've been to many countries too, but not 12 yes. yet. Yes. But I wanted to know, what's your favorite food and which country has the best food? I know this is a good controversy yeah. to have. <laughs> Spill the beans. Well, I, it's a hard question to answer because it depends on your palate, right? Yes. Um, I'm going to keep Sierra Leone out of it because <laughs> that's what I grew up on in our food. So that's number one to me and everything else is like compared. So outside of Sirlinian food, I'm going to say uh, two African countries because I feel like African cuisine is super underrepresented. So the first one, um, I love Ethiopian food. Me too. Um, I, I, I live in the D DMV area. It's called Little Addis. Um, so I've been super lucky to one, visit Ethiopia and have it there, but also enjoy it here locally. And it's such um, really, 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 really delicious. Um, I love their combination of spices um, and not even just hot spices, not necessarily that, but just flavors. Mm -hmm. um, their what, so their stews. Um, I even love kitfo, which is like a raw minced meat um, dish, which is a super flavored and tasty. And then let me think another country. And then on the West, since I'm West African, outside of Sierra Leone, I will say Senegalese. Um, currently there's a debate of like, who has the best shell of rice? Um, I thought it was Nigeria. <laughs> I, no comment, but what I will say is the home of jollof rice is the Senegambian region, so Senegal and Gambia from the Wolof people. Yes. And their jollof rice or chebujen or benachin or chebuyap, depending on what you have with it, mm -hmm. um, is something everyone should experience. I will just say that. And, you know, we can compare and say which is better, which is not, but we all have our own unique spins. And I will definitely say, try their spin. It's very, very tasty. Okay, well, so they originated it, but yeah, try, try the original one. So to sum it up, you said Ethiopia was your number one and Senegalis <laughs> was number two, but you're right about it. I'll just say those are two really good. I'll just say two, those are two top, two top. Okay, so they tied. Yes, I'll say they're tied. I'll say Australian. Perfect. Yes. You're right. I've been to Ethiopia too. I love their food. We eat their food here too. Thank you so much. And it's been Thank such an honor to have you. Thank you. I really enjoyed our chat and hopefully we'll be able to speak again. This was wonderful.